All that to say, as a pastor, right, the word pastor in Latin means shepherd. And so what is a, it's a spiritual shepherd of God's people, right? Under the great shepherd, Jesus. And as such, you know, we have a responsibility and we should have that loving concern that says, hey, you know, if you see somebody come and leading people astray, potentially hurting them, um, don't let that happen. Hey, welcome to Whitefields Community Church Sermon Extra. Great to have you with us once again. And we have been rearranged. We've finally been through all of our construction and changed the orientation of our room sanctuary. And so things might look a little different and they might change a little bit through the next few weeks and months to come as we tune things up a bit. But uh, I'm glad you can be with us this week. And uh, I'm here with Pastor Nick Katie. He is the pastor of Whitefields Community Church here in Longmont, Colorado. And we were in our series, Strength in Weakness, looking at Paul's letter, second letter to the Corinthians. And in chapter 11 this week, we looked at the first six verses. And so if you missed any of that, please get over to whitefieldschurch.com and uh, you will you will find find the sermon there or YouTube or Facebook and, uh, of course, any of your favorite streaming platforms. You'll be able to download um, and uh, be able to share that sermon. And if you would, you know, you're watching right now on YouTube and just like and subscribe, you know, interact, leave us a comment, uh, you know, leave us a rate and review if you can on some of the podcast channels. It certainly helps, you know, boost us in the algorithm as as people are, you know, looking about, we the, the title of the message, Define Je- Divine Jealousy. So they're typing in the word jealousy and, you know, hey, we, we show up and we give them a Christ-centered, gospel-centered answer to their question. And so that was the title of the message. Very interesting topic. Paul dives into this idea of jealousy. He says, I'm, you know, what he says, I'm jealous for you. And it, and we, we, we also realize the Bible says that God is jealous for us. And so, you know, there's a lot of discussion around this word jealous and, and it's just one of those, you know, it has so many negative connotations and, 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 you know, and also words kind of change over the meanings of words. We were just discussing before now the, that the King James version would say that, uh, you know, God is a terrible God, you know, uh, let me look at the one, one of the verses. It's, it was so interesting. He says, uh, in Psalm 66, it says, Say unto God, how terrible art thou in thy works through the greatness of thy power. You know, it's like you're scratching your head. But, you know, language changes, meaning changes, semantics. You know, this is all very important to Scripture as well. So I just want to take a, maybe do a deep dive into this word jealous. And, and of course, the sermon is called Divine Jealousy. So, um, you know, can we have such a thing? Can jealousy be redeemed as a, as a positive, you know, in our language? I think it comes down to the relationship mm-hmm. to that thing, right? So the reason there's a problem with uh, jealous boyfriends and jealous girlfriends, right, is because they they haven't entered into a relationship which would allow them, you know, to have those kinds of uh, exclusive feelings, right? So it's a desire for exclusivity in this case, right, as opposed to a form of envy over what somebody else has or wanting something that hasn't been given to you, um, you know, which is kind of a petty thing. In this case, it's God saying, hey, we've entered into an exclusive relationship and I care about the exclusivity of that relationship. And one of the things Paul brings up in this uh, section here in Second Corinthians 11 is he says, look, 
here's why I'm jealous for you. It's not because I need more things to do or because I'm insecure about how these other guys are getting more influence than I am. He said, no, no, no. The issue, the reason I care about you is because um, these people are leading you astray. They're preaching a different gospel, different Jesus, different spirit. And I'm not okay with that. So I'm not going to just like sit by and allow that to happen on my watch is essentially what Paul's saying. And he puts himself in the role of a father, like the father of a bride, wanting to make sure. He says, look, I've betrothed you to Jesus. I want to make sure you get to the wedding day without infidelity or unfaithfulness, which would jeopardize that wedding day. This is this common picture of, of, you know, our relationship with Jesus now being like betrothal leading up to the great wedding feast, which awaits us. Yeah. But you know, this is an example of what's called anthropopathism. So maybe we can get that. I was going to let you say that. Should we get that on the screen? Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, maybe you've heard the term anthropomorphism, which is something I remember learning like in elementary school, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, literature class, right? So it's a literary device in which you assign human characteristics, qualities, qualities, yeah, yeah, to something that's not human, right? So you could say like the the moon is looking down on us. Well, no, it's not, right? But you get the point, right? The moon is shining upon us and that's the idea. So, um, or you could, you know, assign even to animals certain things which are really unique to humans. Um, In the case we do this with God a lot, I mean, actually the Bible does this with God a lot. So it'll say like, God was grieved to his heart. Well, okay, heart... In what sense, right? He doesn't have like a muscle inside his body beating blood through his body. Um, another one would be like the hand of God is not so short that it cannot reach you or the ear of God so deaf that it cannot hear you. That's Isaiah 59. And um, and again, that's an example of like, okay, is that saying that God has hands? Is God like six foot two and, you know, looks just like us? I mean, clearly the answer is no, but God is using these terms to speak to us in ways that we can relate to, we can understand. So anthropopathism is when we assign uh, the passions of people to God, right? And so a good example of this is jealousy. We could say, is jealousy, the God's jealousy the same as human jealousy? Well, clearly he's using that word because it's something we can relate to. But on the other hand, um, another word that we could use is it says in the Bible, at least twice that I know of, where it says that God regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. He regretted that he made man on the face of the earth in Genesis chapter 6 before he sends a flood. And, you know, what we generally think like regret means when we did something and then we realize, oh, man, I shouldn't have done that. I wish I hadn't done that. Is that what is that what God actually felt? And. Then it says, there's another really interesting verse where it says, is God a man that he should regret something, right? Well, wait a second. So what's that mean, right? So clearly it's saying that, okay, regret is being used as a literary device to help us understand the emotion or feeling of God. So even though he's not a person, he does have emotion and feeling. He's not unfeeling, which is, I think, part of the point here in 2 Corinthians 11. God is not aloof about the fate of your soul. He cares and he, he feels. Um, so even though God's not a person, he has feelings. And yet, you know, these feelings that are perhaps unique to us as human beings, they're attributed to God in the scriptures, not necessarily saying that they're exactly the same thing, but definitely saying that um, there's something that we can relate to. Just as a husband would be jealous of somebody coming after his wife, 
in the same way, God is jealous for his people. He wants exclusivity in their relationship. He's not okay with, with somebody coming in and jeopardizing that exclusivity, moving in on his bride, if you will. So um, I, think, I think that's really important to understand. But yeah, like you said, words change over time. One of my favorite is the Old English. I'm not sure if it ended up in the Bible or not, but in Old English, they use the word awful for what we would now say for awesome. Like, so you can think of a song like, our God is an awesome God. Just imagine singing like, our God is an awful God, right? Now, for people 400 years ago, they would have said, yes, praise the Lord, our God is an awful God. Um, but now we're like, ooh, awful is a negative word, yeah. a pejorative. And so, yeah, it's one of the ways that language changes over time. And yeah, and that's, that's important for us when we come to the scripture to see, see when, and I think it's important that we, when we're like laying these things on the Lord as if he is human. And then, you know, I, I, you think of uh, Jesus in the temple, you know, making a whip and driving out the money changers and kind of the idea of righteous anger has been kind of assigned to that. And we're like, well, can you be angry? Can, you know, that, that's also one of those ones where, again, God is being exclusive. Like this is a house of prayer. You know, he's, he's speaking about his holiness and things that have been defiled. And, and uh, we, we, we see that. We see when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We have that idea of exclusivity, uh, you know, tied to the Lord as well. And so, yeah, I, you know, I, yeah, it's, it's difficult. I think many people have a hard time with that, you know, jealous God. But, but you know, as you framed it, and I think your example on Sunday, just about the idea of a husband being jealous for his wife when somebody's encroaching on his territory, there's exclusivity there. There is a wedding covenant that this person, a covenant before God, this person is now, you know, kind of encroaching on. And that's not right, you know, and that's not right. And I think that was a great example of that. And I think, you know, one of the other overarching themes when we've gone through Second Corinthians and kind of Paul's heart is this idea of a father. He's, he's a father, a spiritual father. Uh, to them. And, you know, what does that say about, you know, our responsibility as leaders in the church, pastors, you know, with, with the congregations, how we, how do, how we view our congregations, you know, do you have any thoughts on that? Oh yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think that that's a really important point that Paul's making, you know, on the one hand, if you just follow his thought process in these first six verses of chapter 11, what he's saying is, say, man, I hate the fact that I have to toot my own horn for you guys, but I'm going to do it just because this is important. And he says, important because I need you to understand, um, I'm not telling you this to pat myself on the back or to get your praise. I'm telling you this because what these people are saying is not right, and it's potentially dangerous for your souls. So the deal is, like, these people are leading the Corinthians astray, preaching a different message, a different Jesus. And Paul's saying, I cannot, as a, as a father, stand by and watch my children be led astray. I just can't, right? And so there's this idea of, like, this responsibility, but also this loving care for the, for the sake of the Corinthians, and I think that that is uh, what it means to be a shepherd and to be a leader. I mean, in fact, I mean, that's the whole point of what Jesus says in John 10, that a true shepherd is not the same as a hireling. Hirelings just there to do their job, clock in, clock out. And if it, anything comes to like 
uh, where they have to do anything that puts them at risk or that's uncomfortable, they're not going to do it because, hey, I'm just getting paid to do this. Don't ask me to do more. But a person who's a shepherd, they feel, uh, you know, if they care about the sheep. The, those are their sheep to care for, and they're willing to put their life on the line for the sheep. And that's why Jesus says that he's the good shepherd. So all that to say, as a pastor, right, the word pastor in Latin means shepherd. And so what is a, it's a spiritual shepherd of God's people, right, under the great shepherd, Jesus. And as such, you know, we have a responsibility and we should have that loving concern that says, hey, you know, if you see somebody come and leading people astray, potentially hurting them, um, don't let that happen. That's what Paul talks about, like in Acts 20, you know, I'm telling he says to the Ephesian elders, I know that after I leave here, there are going to be at some point wolves that will come in amongst the congregation to lead people astray. And your job as the spiritual shepherds of this congregation is to deal with those wolves and not let that happen. And I, I think that that is, you know, that's right. And that that's what it means to love people is to say, not only am I going to teach you the right way, but I'm also going to protect you from the wrong way. Yeah. And we've, we, we discussed before that, you know, that sometimes means physically grabbing somebody and removing them from, from the church. Both you and I have been in those situations where, yeah, there's people, there's a wolf in the church and they're feeding on the sheep Mm -hmm. and we have to make a decision that this person needs to go. They're, you know, they're endangering the sheep, they're endangering, and then they usually go after the young people anyway, you know, ones young in their faith and, and that kind of thing. And sometimes that means, hey, buddy, you got to get out of here and we're going to physically bring the elders and lay hands on you (laughs) all the way out the church, you know, or the left foot of fellowship or whatever the other phrases. I, I've, uh, I mean, I've had instances like that where there's somebody who comes around. We had it in Hungary more than I've had it here. But um, people who would come around the church to prey on people, and that's why they're there. And um, I think there's something that happens a lot with younger, like newer church plants and things like that. They're particularly perhaps vulnerable to this. So you see, you know, people coming in who maybe they they have some kind of doctrinal bent and they like want to like recruit people for that. So one of the ways they'll do that is they'll go to churches, stand out. I've seen people do this before. They'll stand outside and like try to catch people as they're coming out of church and like, you know, kind of do that. Um, we've, we've had, you know, people in the church who were just acting inappropriately. That was, again, more in Hungary where we had to say, okay, hey, this is not cool. You're being a wolf. Um, but I'll tell you, I've even done it in my own neighborhood. You know, we'll get, you know, people from like cults and, um, you know, non-Christian groups or even like pseudo-Christian groups who will come in and they'll go door to door trying to um, get people into their their group. And I've literally walked up to these people in my neighborhood and said, please leave my neighborhood. I don't want you to um, mislead my neighbors because I care about my neighbors. And I've told them, hey, I'm a Christian. I believe that what you're preaching about Jesus and about salvation is false. And it's not only like a different opinion. Like it's actually a false gospel, which will be a detriment to the souls of my neighbors. So, um, please leave my neighborhood and don't come back. And generally they, they at least leave. I don't know if they don't come back, but I haven't seen them back. So who knows? But I would say, I would, I think that if you do that politely, I don't know, it's a way of kind of being a shepherd in your neighborhood as well. Yeah, no, I think that's important. You bring up an important point, you know, just as we bring this to a close and that it's, it's genuine love. And that's why I think 
Paul has shown us to the Corinthians is genuine love and that, that that's the heart of a pastor. It's not we're trying to protect our turf or you're stealing my congregation or you're stealing our tithe, you know, or whatever it may be. It's what you're protecting their souls. This is a matter of life and death. This is about salvation of somebody and their eternal destiny. This is not about numbers or about anything like that. And I think that's an important point to catch that we we are leaders not because we lead some business or organization, but we are leading, we're part of the body of Christ, God's bride, and our job is to protect protect them. And it's because of genuine love, you know, and that's because Jesus did that for his, for us as well, you know, his death on the cross for us. And that's what God's called us to do is the same, you know, lay down our lives for our church, you know, because that's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a matter of life and death, you know? And so now that's a great point to, to, to end on. And so again, if you missed uh, the sermon, you got to get over and listen there. Very interesting, divine jealousy. So you can share that with somebody that might pique their interest as to what we're talking about. And, uh, you know, all your favorite platforms and you can find it there. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. God bless.